Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, thank you, O God, for this day. Thank you for blessing us, setting aside a day that you gather with your people together with all of your saints to hear your word, to fellowship, to eat the Lord's Supper. We pray, O God, that you would bless this day, even as you have hallowed it, that you would bless us, your people, that you would be merciful to us, that, O God, we would draw near to you in the blood of your Son. We pray for our time this morning in our study of your word. We ask you to bless us, give us the Holy Spirit to understand and make use of your word. Thank you, O God, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, all. I am glad to be back here with you. As you gather, we are beginning our study of the book of Judges. Is everyone hearing me okay? Okay, very good. So uh, beginning our study of the book of Judges, um, just to start with, who has some thoughts on the book of Judges already? What are some things that you all know about the book of Judges? No doubt you've read it, you've studied some of it before, and you probably have questions about it, etc. So I'd just be curious if there are, are any things that you all would like to say at the outset or anything like that. Yes, Miss Aloise? Yes. The problem wasn't the judges, per se, right? Just like the problem in Israel wasn't even the kings. The problem is the sinful heart of man that corrupts everything. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else? All right. Let me move some things here. Okay. So you do have a handout. There are more of them on the chair there, if anyone didn't get it. So let's talk first about the title, The Book of Judges. When we think of judges, typically we think of like a guy in a robe and he decides cases, right? He's a civil magistrate of sorts and he decides between individuals or he um, renders judgment. God, for instance, is a judge. God judges. And one of the things that will develop in the book of Judges is that God always is invisibly judging, right? God is judging his people. God is judging the nations. Um, But there are positive and negative aspects to judgment in that sense. Positively, a judge is a deliverer. Okay? He's a deliverer and a vindicator. Negatively, judgment is punishment or chastisement. I knew that would come eventually, right? Um. That's okay. Thank you. What do you all think? That is a little... Could you turn it down just a skosh, please? Skosh, that's a Wisconsin term, right? You all know that one? (laughs) Yeah, it's like a hair's breadth, you know? All right, so the judges in the book of Judges don't principally perform that task of a civil judge deciding cases, okay? Okay. 
they principally do the work of delivering. But they also have the function of being a leader, a ruler. So they are to uh, deliver the people, but they're also supposed to set an example. And they're supposed to guide the people in godliness. Obviously, in the nation of Israel, there's the um, notion that the, the religion and the government are united. And so a judge was not only a, a military or political ruler, but also had a religious function. He was to guide the people in um, faithfulness to the Lord. So this title comes from the, uh, re- the judges recorded in the book of Judges, right? There are several people who perform this work of judging. And I just want to look for a moment at chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. And then continuing to verse 17. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord they did not do so. So you see in those verses the two functions, the two ways that the judges are being used of the Lord. The Lord raised them up to deliver the people, but then also they commanded the people, commanded the people to keep the commandments of God. And we see that because the people would not listen to them. Now, as you will discover with some of the judges, it would be better for the people to not listen to them. But you have to understand that there's a difference between the ordaining of an office and the men who fill that office and their performance in that office, right? Similar to what uh, Grace mentioned with the kings. The office of king in itself is good and right and has the, the uh, potential to do good. But sometimes wicked men fill that office and, and don't do good. All right. Now, the judges uh, that we see in the book of Judges differ from other judges in Scripture, as we've talked about, right? They're mainly delivering people. They're acting as generals. They're almost like kings, and they are supposed to be teaching the commandments. But the office of judge actually started back under Moses' time, right? The judges were appointed. They were elders and judges over the tribes, And so this is where that office started. Um, I want to look at a couple. I want to just look, for instance, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 1. One of the things that I I find as I started studying the book of Judges, the, the material all assumes that Judges began in the book of Judges. In other words, that there wasn't an office of judge prior to that. But really, there, there were judges prior to it, and there was um, an expansion of their role, if you will, in the book of Judges. So in, in the book of Deuteronomy, um, we'll go back to verse 10 of chapter 1. The Lord your God has multiplied you. This is Moses speaking. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I alone bear your problems and your burdens and your complaints? Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes 
and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, This thing which you have told us to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, leaders of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the stranger who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great, and you shall not be afraid in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. So you see here Moses describing when he appointed judges. And he gives us some indications of their qualifications, right? They're supposed to be godly men. They're supposed to be wise men. supposed to be knowledgeable men. And they are supposed to be impartial. They're supposed to judge according to the law and not show favoritism. Now one of the things that I want to point out again is that judging between people or judging cases was only one function of a judge. You still have the same office in the book of Judges that we see here in Deuteronomy. It's just that the role now has expanded. The people have grown in number. Uh, The circumstances are different. They no longer have Moses. They no longer have Joshua. Therefore, these judges, who are probably set up over tribal or um, smaller, you know, so you have the whole nation of Israel, and then the nation itself has 12 tribes, and within those tribes are clans, and with those clans are households. Those are the basic divisions of society in Israel. And the judges, it seems to be, are particular to tribes. Okay, so the whole people, tribes, those would probably have judges. Okay, and then you probably have lesser judges in the clans, um, that would be like, uh, you know, you move up the ladder, right? And in Moses' day, you would have judges who would um, serve the people. And if it couldn't get decided by them, they could appeal to Moses. Moses was sort of like the Supreme Court. All right? Now Moses is gone, and these judges then are um, left with the task. There are 12 judges recorded in the book of Judges. Sometimes you guys remember the name Abimelech. We'll read about him in the book of Judges. Sometimes he's included in the list of judges. But in truth, it doesn't seem that he was actually a judge. All right. Now, there are other judges not in the book of Judges. Okay. Samuel and Eli are in the book of 1 Samuel, as well as Samuel's sons. Samuel had two sons whom he appointed to be judges in Israel. Now, the book of Judges is not... We don't know who wrote it traditionally. Um, the the uh, Talmud, for instance, says it was Samuel who wrote it. That's a fair guess or fair tradition, but the scripture is silent on it. We really just don't know who wrote it. And it seems like sometimes with uh, books of the Bible... God thinks it's not important for us to know which human author wrote it, and we just sometimes have to live with that. All right, the genre of it is, you'll read through it, you see it's historical narrative. 
down. But it's not just history, right? It's not just um, telling us what happened. It's telling us what happened, why it happened, right? There's always a theological interpretation to divine history. And it also tells us what happens, meaning there are repeatable patterns, okay? So what happened with Samson will tell us something about what happens, what happens to mankind, what happens to God's people, what happens when we succumb to sin. So this theological design of the book of Judges is to encourage godliness. So Judges belongs to what we call the former prophets, right? Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. And the Kings, of course, first and second Kings. They're known as prophetic books in the Hebrew canon. And remember, the prophets were kind of God's covenant enforcers, right? Prophets were meant to call people to faithfulness, to teach them the scriptures, to call them to repentance when they've sinned, to let them know that God is displeased with them, that kind of thing. So the former prophets, those books, like the book of Kings and Joshua, are always intended to encourage the people to faithfulness. All right, so right before we come into Judges, we have the conquest, the book of Joshua. Joshua is one of those rare leaders, one of those rare men in Scripture about whom there's not negative press. Joshua appears to have served the Lord with his whole heart all of his days. Joshua did very well in that regard, and Joshua is a tremendous example. Joshua left very big shoes to fill. (laughs) And the people in the land, after he died, failed. Okay, We'll read in Judges about, it was after the death of Joshua... And the death of the elders who outlived Joshua, the people lived righteously until all that generation died off. And then they started over and did not do so well. So as Israel came into the promised land, right, they came with Joshua and they had to possess the land. They had to take it and do many great battles in order to possess the land. Now there are remnants of the people of the land living there. Canaanites, and there's all kinds of ites, but Canaanites is a broad term that pertains to any of the people dwelling in the land of Canaan. But you do remember, what is, where is the, the source of Canaan? Where did he come from? Cursed be Canaan, right? From the book of Genesis. Noah's son Ham committed immorality, and Noah cursed his offspring Canaan. So in the minds of the biblical audience, a Canaanite is one who is cursed, is immoral, etc. So in the land, you have these Canaanites, and many of them have been defeated and killed and driven out, but there are some remaining. The task of the Israelites at this point in the book of Judges is to finish driving out all the inhabitants of the land. Remember, God had judged those people of that land and said, the land will spew them out. You are to go in there and displace them, and you are to kill every man, woman, child, dog, cat, hamster, anything else, and drive them all out. That is their divine mandate. All right, we read about their task in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, 
Verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burned burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. So you see, this is their task, and this is what we see happening in the book of Judges. Israel failed to obey the Lord in this matter, and therefore receives consequences. They are judged by God. All right, notice that the Lord says several things. One, drive those people out, kill them, utterly destroy them. Number two, don't make covenants with them. Number three, don't marry them. All right? And why? Well, they will turn your hearts to foreign gods. This is exactly what we see happening in the book of Judges. It begins with their failure to drive the people out of the land. And then they make covenants or treaties with the people of the land. And then they start marrying sons and daughters of the people of the land. And by the end of it, Israel is worshiping false gods. That's exactly the problem. And so the book of Deuteronomy, by the way, is referenced probably three dozen times in the book of Judges. So that provides an important context Oftentimes it will be helpful to go back to Deuteronomy or the other books of Moses to see what's going on in Judges. All right. I want to pause for just a moment and, and think about a, a modern day application of what we've just read in Deuteronomy 7. Right. Think of um, in the New Testament, believers are forbidden from marrying unbelievers. Right. Christians must marry Christians. And why? Well, one reason is they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, right? This is why Christians have to marry Christians, because by non-Christian spouses, they can be turned to other gods. Similarly, they are not to make a covenant with the people of the land. Now, we can have business dealings with the people outside of the church, but we ought not to make covenants with them. Right? We're not to have fellowship with them in the sense that we would with Christians. No. Marriage is one example of that, but there are probably other ways of having close fellowship with the wicked. We ought not have such entanglements with them that it would interfere with our worship of the Lord, for instance. Also, I want to... Recently, um, in preaching through Romans, we saw... The Christian's duty to put to death the deeds of the body, right? By the Spirit, we are to put to death the deeds of the body, which means 
We are to war against and kill indwelling sin. And as I read through Judges again, I couldn't help but see it is a great illustration of that principle. The people of the land are illustrative of indwelling sin, right? And we are to utterly destroy it and not make treaties with it and not marry it or not make provision for it, but utterly destroy it. If we don't, guess what? It's going to come back and bite us. And that's what we see in the book of Judges. So one, one thing that I think is helpful going through this book is to see, yes, the Canaanites were a real people and there were real historical issues, but they also typify sin in the believer. Right? And they are not to, what's the harm of just having just a, you know, one little camp of Hittites over there? We'll make a treaty with them and they'll serve us. We'll keep them under our thumb. It'll be fine. I've got this sin. I kind of like it. I, I don't want to be mastered by it, but maybe I can make a little deal with it. Right? Well, guess what? That's not how it works. Number one, it upsets God. Number two, it always ends up that the sin doesn't stay in its confines. And it will eventually overtake you. Okay? All right. So, book of Judges spans somewhere around 300 to 350 years. Okay? Um, and as you'll see, it's a time of great moral and spiritual decay. So one of the things, as we read Judges, we need to keep that in mind. When we see uh, the conduct of some of the people, we, we have to understand that their conduct stands out as good against the backdrop of their society. It's not, you know, it's not Israel's heyday, as it were. All right, so you see a short little timeline there. Creation, these numbers are, are you know, fairly round, but creation about 4,000 B.C., Abraham about 2,000, the Exodus 1446. That date is pretty firm. And then the judges then sometime in the 1300s to the thousands. And then 966 is when Solomon began building the temple. Okay, so that kind of situates where we are. All right, let me just pause for a moment and ask if there are any questions. Yes? Just, just a comment. Um, I think we need to take great encouragement from when you say that Joshua, you know, the generation that was with him, I think we should never discount our effect on those around us. Yep. Because even in the judges, <laughs> yeah. the more righteous they were, yeah. there was great effect. So yeah. I think... Anybody who's in leadership yep. or, you know, yep. we should fight discouragement that we don't make a difference because yeah. we see in the judges... It actually know, does. We do make a big difference. Excellent point. Um, so when I was young, like when I first started driving, I would, you know, put like $5 of gas in the car at a time, right? Or whatever coins I could scrounge or whatever. And as you get down towards the, you know, bottom of the tank, sometimes you could coast on fumes, Right? There's just a little bit in there. There's a little bit in the lines. You know, there's a little in the carburetor. And you're just barely, just maybe co- come into the gas station just coasting. And that depends on the momentum you had prior. Right? And that's what you see in the book of Judges. With Joshua and the people, Joshua was faithful. They had some momentum coming. I think we see that in America today. We are coasting largely on the momentum of people who were many generations prior to us. But we're not 
the problem, we're, we're enjoying some of the benefits of that, but we're not actually performing the same duties. See, we're not being righteous like they were, and we are still enjoying the benefits, but that's only, I mean, we're just coasting, okay? And we would do well to repent and, yeah. All right, um, let's take a look here. We're, oh, yeah, the structure of the book of Judges then is there's three parts. There's an introduction, and the introduction is kind of a twofold introduction that corresponds to a twofold conclusion. And we'll talk more about that when we study those parts, but there's an introduction which basically describes Israel's failures and their consequences. And then the main body of the book tells the stories of six major judges and six minor judges. Now, major and minor just really has to do with um, the prominence, okay? There are some major judges that you know more about and some minor judges that we just get a brief mention of. And we'll look at, Lord willing, each of the individual judges as we go through here. Um, The conclusion details the religious and moral condition of Israel throughout this time period. It's interesting that the order of the judges, as they come in the narrative, follows the order of the tribes named in the introduction. Okay, so in the in chapter one through three, and, and mainly in chapter one, the Lord talks, he describes um, the Israelites and going to take the land and drive out the inhabitants, and which tribe did what. Okay, and he mentions Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, Jephthah, and Dan. And then he talks about how they failed to drive out those inhabitants. And then the judges that are introduced to us follow that same order. So you have Othniel, who is from Judah, Ehud, who is from Benjamin, Deborah from Ephraim, Gideon from Manasseh, Japheth from Gilead, and Samson from Dan. Now, something to observe in the book of Judges is you have sort of um, high points and low points, right? You have things that are good, you have things that are bad. But the whole work is descending downward. They are worse off in the end than in the beginning. And you see this even with the judges. Probably the best judge, the judge who fulfills all the criteria and and doesn't have negative press, is Othniel. The worst judge, perhaps, is Samson. Now, Samson has some amazing things about him, some very heroic deeds he does and some very good stories. But just in terms of his personal conduct, he's, gets, no one has more negative things said about him in the book of Judges than Samson. Samson does not live up to his potential. So there's this sort of descent downwards. All right, And so when we speak of the minor judges... We see that the second, fourth, and fifth major judges are followed by other guys like like Shamgar and Tola and Ibzan and Elon and Abdon. And we'll look at all of those, Lord willing, in their place. Now there's an inclusio. Now an inclusio is when you have a, a word or phrase or sentence or image or subject at the beginning of a story and at the end of a story, like a bookend, okay? Like sometimes a comedian, he'll start out his act by telling one joke, and then somewhere later on, probably at the end of the bit, he'll tell the same, he'll call it back, 
right? Authors do that too. Um, so the book of Judges, there's an inclusio between the introduction and the conclusion. Kind of sandwiches it all together and ties it up to show you he was driving at a theme all throughout. So in the beginning we have Israel trying to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And then they have a problem with these foreign idols. Okay. At the end of the book of Judges, we see they have a problem with domestic idols. Meaning... They're committing idolatry that was not propagated by the Canaanites, but rather by Israelites. So they have now an idol problem, but not from outside, but from within. And then they have a civil war. So you have a foreign war, foreign idols, domestic idols, domestic wars. You see the parallelism there. In the conclusion, there's also a fourfold repetition with this refrain. In those days, there was no king. Every man did was what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king. In those days, there was no king. In those days, there was no king. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Because of this, many have um, drawn the conclusion that the book of Judges itself is an apologetic for the monarchy. In other words, the point would be, listen, they didn't have a king and look at how it turned out. Right? You might not like the kings, but we could go back to a time when there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Would you prefer that? that that's possible. I'm not so sure. I think one of the underlying themes in the book of Judges is that when it says Israel has no king, it means that not even God is their king. They have thrown him off. And it's not a problem of not having a human king, although there might be a good argument for having a king. The point is, is that there was no restraint. The people were not serving the Lord. And there's, remember when um, the people reject Samuel. Samuel was a judge and a prophet. And the Lord says to Samuel, the people have not rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. And I think that's kind of the point in the book of Judges. There's another refrain, I don't have it written here, but, um, and Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is in chapters 3, 4, 6, 10, and 13. It happens again and again. And, and one thing I want to point out is that linguistically there's a parallel between man doing what's right in his own eyes and man doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Sight and eyes are the same word. And so when a man does what's right in his own eyes, he is doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. Mr. Kaufman. Just as a point of observation, if I'm thinking about this correctly, I think there was more repentance in the sense of the people of Israel crying out to the Lord in the time of the judges than you actually did see in the time when they had the monarchy. Yeah. Because in yeah. the time of the monarchy, there yeah. was still yeah. worship in the high places. Yes. And then once you see Ezekiel and, and Isaiah, for example, yeah. what you hear about Israel doing, there's no sense of, yep. there's actually more sense that they say, when's God really going to do this? He's not doing this. Yeah. He's not coming. He's not bringing anything. Yeah. And we will see, okay, in the book of Judges, several instances of repentance, just like you describe. One thing that we have to watch for is that not all repentance is equal. 
Right? There are some repentance in the book of Judges that seems very short-lived or very half-hearted. And one of the uh, things in the book of Judges is idolatry, right? And one way that people commit idolatry is by trying to manipulate God. Try to manipulate God. And they do this by trying to, um, very crassly, worship him in an image, right? That's manipulating God because you can pick him up and put him where you want him, etc., They try to do it by saying, we have the temple, we have the temple, nothing bad's ever going to happen to us. Or they say, well, I'm circumcised, I'm a child of Abraham, I can't be lost. You see, they're trying to, like, bind God over to something he instituted and created and and say, God can't keep his own rules because I've, you know, I've, I've I've got a loophole here. And in the book of Judges, you see several attempts by people to try and manipulate God. And one way that they try to manipulate God is crying out to him. And there becomes a time in the book of Judges where God no longer hears them and tells them he's he's not going to deliver them this time. And so the, the point I want to make with all of that is that the repentance, we have to be sure that our repentance is not half hearted, not trying to manipulate God. Because we know this, we know if I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive me. But if I am rushing headlong into sin and I'm thinking to myself, I'll just confess my sins and God is faithful and just to forgive me, I'll repent later after I've satisfied myself with my sin. We are trying to manipulate God, aren't we? And that's not genuine repentance. And God, believe it or not, knows the difference. All right, uh... You see on the, I guess it would be the third page, um, a judges at the glance, at a glance. And this is, shows us sort of a, this is a, a fairly helpful arrangement of it. And even under topic there, you see they say, um, living with the Canaanites, war with the Canaanites, living like the Canaanites. And that's really, I think, a big part of the story of the book of Judges. Now, there are a number of themes, and um, we'll discuss a few of them now. Principally, a demonstration of God's sovereignty and his faithfulness. And his sovereignty is shown in that he accomplishes his ends. He delivers his people. He preserves them. He chastises them. When they have an enemy, if it's Midianites or whatever it is, it's the Lord Who does it? When they are delivered, it's the Lord who does it. Okay? And God is keeping the covenant. God is being faithful. He's doing what he promised to do through human instruments and oftentimes in spite of them. Okay? So that's a big lesson or a big theme in the book of Judges. And then there's this repeating cycle. And that last sentence there... I would revise that if I could. I would say the repeating cycle contains some or all of the following elements. I said most or all, but really this is really one of the clues that we're going to find for evaluating the judges. We see all of these elements in some of the judges, but not all. And I'm thinking that when these elements are lacking, or when we see things contrary to these elements... That helps us evaluate that judge 
Uh, For instance, um, number six, the spirit of the Lord empowers that judge. That's important. That, you know, that the spirit of the Lord comes upon that judge and empowers him for their service. When we don't see that, that's, that should get our attention, right? Or after the Lord delivers Israel from the hands of the oppressor, then the land enjoys rest for a number of years, usually until that judge dies. If we don't have that statement, that tells us something. That's a, you know, that's a, there's a, why, that's a notable absence, okay? Now, um, so let's just look for a moment at this pattern, though. The basic pattern, you know it. Israel does evil. The Lord, being angered by their evil, delivers them into the hands of some oppressors. They live under that oppression for a time, and then they cry out to the Lord for deliverance. Strictly speaking, um, it doesn't say they repent, but it's implicit, because repentance is turning from sin unto God with hope of his mercy in Christ. So when the people are crying out to God, in the best sense, that is repentance, because they've turned from their sin and cried out to God to deliver them. So they cry out to God. The Lord hears them, and he raises up a judge. He then sends down the spirit who empowers this judge. The same terminology is later used of the kings when the spirit of God anointed them. And then that judge delivers the people, The people then are freed and they enjoy a time of peace. And then, back to step one, people do evil in the eyes of the Lord. Um, When we talk about judges, again, I said at the beginning that God is Israel's judge. God judges his people. What I mean by that is he delivers them, but he also disciplines them when they sin. Right? He chastises them when they sin. That is a judgment. That's not a judicial punishment. Sometimes we talk about judgment strictly in the sense of God's wrath. Um, and his people don't experience that. Or they don't experience his, um, you know, they're not, like, justified persons are not cast into hell. But even today, justified persons do experience the Lord's discipline. Okay, the Lord... Judgment begins with the house of God, right? And that's what we see oftentimes in the book of Judges. We see a lot of the dangers of apostasy, the difference between sincere faith and false faith. We see a lot of idolatry. Shows the mix of both good and bad in the lives of believers. This is something I think is helpful for us as Christians. Not that we want to emulate the failures of some of the judges, But to see that a person really does have a mix of failures and successes in their Christian walk, right? We see that it's important to recognize human beings being sinful fail. And yet that failure may not be the defining feature of that person's life. And it's remarkable how the judges that are mentioned in the book of Hebrews are treated. Right? Japheth by faith. What? And when we read about Jephthah, I don't have that high of an appraisal of him. But um, we see then that I think that is helpful, okay? And and Judges also demonstrates the value of individual 
acts of faith and courage and faithfulness, just little things, just one person doing one little thing and how that can be important and how that matters to God. JL, right, just, just a, a maiden and gives a guy some warm milk and waits for him to sleep and drives a tent peg through his head. Helps to save a whole nation and gets that recorded in the Bible. But see, just little acts of faithfulness are important. They matter to God and they should matter to us. As I said, Judges records the canonization of Israel. The Lord's deliverances are a cause for rejoicing and many of the judges are heroic and good. But the people move from bad to worse. Um, We see there's a couple of allusions to the book of Judges and the birth of John the Baptist and in the birth of Christ. They they parallel the announcement and birth of Samson. Also, um, Mary's song. uh, You know, J.L., after she, she killed Sisera, they sang about her and she said, Blessed are you among women, which is what is said about Mary. So that's an interesting connection. And of course, you know the references to Judges in Hebrews 11. All right, let's take just a couple minutes to talk about some tips for reading and, and understanding and applying the book of Judges. All right, so the, one of the big things is, is Judges is realistic. It's gritty. It's gruesome. It describes things in details. Um, sometimes people ha- have difficulty with that. And one of the, the thing I just want to encourage you is that God has recorded the things that he has recorded in the way that he has recorded them because he thinks it's important for you to know that, okay? So like when Ehud stabs Eglon and the fat closes up over the hilt of the dagger, God wants you to know that. And sometimes maybe that we need to correct our sensibilities according to the way God wants us to think. Um, you know, some of us are more sensitive to certain things than others, and I think oftentimes the point of it is to shock us, right? To show us, oof, things were really rough. But at the same time, understand that we should cheer when um, we think about Eglon's men coming to find him, and he's stuck in the bathroom, and his fat body is against the door, and they can't open the door. That's a good thing for the people of God. God put that in there, and he wants us to say, yay, right? So sometimes we need to modify or, or you know, ad- adapt our sensibilities to God's, right? Now, Judges is history, but it's not merely history. God expects a response from us as we read it, as we hear it. We should respond. He wants a, a response of faith. He wants to form our thinking and our feeling to be more like his. And Judges is one instrument of that. All right, there are both good and bad examples in the book of Judges. And we have to learn to, to discern which ones to follow and which ones not to follow. And sometimes the same man has both good things and bad things about him, right? Um, there, are, there are things about Samson, for instance, that he does and, and we can rejoice but there are things that Samson does that we cannot follow. And God wants us to learn to tell the difference between those things. It's not always easy. Sometimes we don't know. It's hard to figure out. Is this a good example or is this a bad example? 
But we will find in the book of Judges there are clues that we'll start to pick up on. We'll start to see. And really what we want to know is, does God approve of this or disapprove of it? That's what we want to know, right? And we'll see clues that point that out for us. And also we have the context, the standard by which we judge men. And that's the law of God. That's the Ten Commandments. That's the book of Deuteronomy. So when we are evaluating the characters in the book of Judges, we're evaluating them according to what God told them in the law. Um, Okay, there's a number of heroes and heroines for us to look up to. And I think we should, you know, we should have that. If we could use some people like that in our day, right? But we also have to remember that even the best men are, are men, They fail, they're subject to sin, they die. And so ultimately, like all the books of the Bible, God is the the main hero. He's the one who's actually um, rescuing his people. And if we were to, we need to learn to um, use men and depend on God. Okay, so for instance, um, Israel could use Gideon. He was useful to them for deliverance, but they could not put their trust in him because he's not God. We see that even with King David. King David could be used by the nation. And by used, I mean he's appointed for a function, and you let him do that, right? But don't depend on him as if he were God, because guess what? He is going to fail. I think we can apply this um, in our age, especially to our politicians, We can use them, make them, put them in a place to accomplish what we think is right, but we can't depend on them. We can't put our trust in them because even if they're good today, they could fail. God is the only one who never fails. All right? All right, let me pray for us and then we'll dismiss. Blessed God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we have in it. We pray you would bless it to us and bless our study in the book of Judges. Help us, O God, in your name. Amen.